Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Wow. It's been a while, and you're still here, still kicking. Um, Love 146 is still here and still kicking, and um, I think that's, uh, that's a really good thing. Um, Gosh, I feel like in such a short period of time, the world changed, right? Like 18 months ago or so. Um, and uh, what was interesting was that I was actually in Asia traveling, um, visiting our work there, um, February of 2020, um, right before everything uh, blew apart. And it was just starting to happen while I was traveling. And it was, I didn't even know what was going on because I would be going through airports and, and, and they were like, Things, things were happening and things, like, like they were changing, like, okay, you can't go, you can't take that flight anymore because that ha- that's been um, closed down. You've got to go this. And I'm like, what is happening? Having no idea in just a few short weeks after that how everything was going to um, completely change and get shut down. So it was really weird that uh, traveling in real time and seeing it all starting to take place and everything that has happened since then. Um, what's really crazy is that this is my first public speaking engagement since COVID hit um, 18 months ago. Which, so it's like, and it's only fitting that it's True North, that I get my first time back out on the road um, with you guys, because you've been such a crucial part of, um, of the work of Love 146 for so many years. So thank you for being a part of that. Um, if you um, are not familiar with our work, very quickly, as Bert said, we exist to um, end the trafficking and exploitation of children. That's our, that's our vision. Um, we do that by journeying alongside children um, who've been impacted by trafficking through our survivor care programs, um, as well as we prevent the trafficking of children um, uh, through our prevention programs. And we've been doing this for almost 19 years now. Uh, we've been in existence. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey. It's been a heartbreaking journey. It's been a hard journey. Um, those of you that are not familiar with the story, we, we started out because of an encounter, right? I mean, we know a lot about social justice issues, things that are happening around us, and we can sometimes keep an arm's length until it personally affects us, unfortunately. That's what it takes sometimes to actually um, engage. Um, and um, for, for me, myself and a couple of friends back in 2002, first started hearing about this thing called child trafficking. And back then, not a lot of people were call, talking about trafficking. In fact, the terminology human trafficking was just created a couple of years before that to describe this kind of crime against humanity. Um, and uh, it, it, it was happening for a long time, way before that. But it was first given the terminology human trafficking um, back, I think, in uh, 2000. And so it was relatively new terminology. And, and when we started hearing that this is happening to children, children are bought and sold for horrific reasons. This is crazy that this is happening now. Um, and so when we started hearing about it, we care, I mean, none of us had any real like backgrounds in human rights work or anything like that. Um, I was a drummer in a band. I had a bit of a public platform. Um, I had a friend of mine who was uh, the lead singer of another band. We had an artist. We had um, a photographer. So, but we cared about kids. 
And we just thought this is unacceptable that this is happening uh, to kids. So we started to educate ourselves, thinking maybe we can use some of our public platforms to raise awareness about this, because um, uh, we weren't aware of it, and then if we're not aware of it, maybe other people are not. Um, maybe we can raise some funds for organizations or whatever. So we started to dig in, and it became like the proverbial rabbit hole. The further in you dug, the deeper and darker and more complex it seemed to get. And so we connected in our educating ourselves, we connected with an organization um, that works in this field in, in stopping this from happening. They're made up of predominantly criminal investigators who they go in undercover into places where children are being um, bought, sold, exploited, um, and they usually have undercover surveillance equipment in. They go in posing as customers into these places. They gather enough evidence. When they have enough evidence uh, collected, they go and partner with local law enforcement with a recovery operation, getting kids out of those situations, and then those kids begin the very long journey of recovery back into hopefully their families again um, if their families were not complicit in them being trafficked to begin with. And I just really oversimplified an unbelievably long and complex process. But for the sake of time, that's kind of what, the, the, what we were learning. And so this organization said, hey, if you really want to know and, um, and speak about this, you should really see it firsthand. They invited us to visit one of their operating centers in a Southeast Asian country. We agreed, we went with them, and they happened to be in the middle of an investigation in this particular city of a particular brothel when we were there. Um, and, they, and they invited us to come with them that particular night that we were there um, into one of where, where they were doing an investigation. And you guys, we would never recommend an organization do this. We were not professional investigators. It's probably not a good idea to do that. Um, but because of the trust and the relationship that we had, they trusted us. And so they gave us these brief instructions on how to pose as a customer. And I have to tell you that it was probably one of the most disturbing experiences of my life to have to um, pretend to be the very thing that everything in me is completely and utterly repulsed by. And I remember that night as they were giving us these instructions on how to pose like this and, and to act this part, one of the last things they said before we went in, they said, look, if you don't think you can do this, um, if you don't think you can hold it together with what you're about to see, don't go in because we can't risk you completely destroying this investigation by breaking character. And we were like, no worries, until we walked into this place. We walked into this room. We found ourselves standing um, behind these glass windows, looking through these glass windows where um, these uh, young girls were sitting in rows, having um, matching red dresses on, having even the dignity of a name stripped from them, just numbers pinned to their dresses on this side of the glass, standing shoulder to shoulder with predators who were about to purchase uh, these kids. And brothel ma managers and workers handing us menus with the numbers of the kids and what they can do and all of that. And I remember in that moment thinking those words were reverberating, if you don't think you can hold it together, because everything in me as a man, you know, as a father, as a human being, wasn't holding it together very well, but we could not break character. And I think the thing that so took my breath away um, was the looks in the eyes of these kids. And again, I'm, I'm an observer in this situation. I don't know what's happening in their hearts and their minds or, 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 or what they're thinking or anything like that. But from my observation, looking through that glass, uh, these kids were sitting there staring at these children's cartoons on these crackling little, little television sets with just these blank stares on their, on their faces. And whether that's the human ability to shut down um, uh, when trauma gets too intense or, or whatever that was, um, but it was this, that stare was gutting um, uh, that, that was in the eyes of these kids. And they all were sort of in that situation except for one girl. Um, she was the only one not watching the children's cartoons. She was staring at, at, in our direction through uh, the glass and there was this fierce 
this fierceness in her, in her gaze. And I will never forget those eyes. I'll never forget um, her number. Her number was 146. And so even naming the organization when we eventually created Love 146, it was to remember that when we talk about these injustices, when we talk about people who are experiencing oppression, sometimes we have a tendency to dehumanize them by putting them under categories or of issues, right? The homeless, you know, the poor, the refugees, you know, the trafficking victims, and we forget that under that category of, uh, of people are actually real people, real human beings. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, that was, that was sort of the impact uh, on us. And so naming the organization it reminds us daily that we fight for the one, right? And, and I, have a, I have an easier time and I fight more fiercely for individuals than I do for issues and causes that seem so big and so uh, nebulous at times. And so um, we left there with a sense of a mandate of like we cannot not do something now. Now we're compelled to do something, to act um, and so eventually created uh, Love 146 to, melt, to meet uh, felt needs that were, that were on the ground. And so uh, we ended up hiring experts in the field to develop our programs. We eventually um, started uh, survivor care programs and then eventually moving into um, prevention programs. And so since 2002, in almost 19 years, we've been able to reach over 65,000 children now on four different continents. And that's what your generosity as a church has been able to help make happen. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, you know, and even during this pandemic, um, we, we have been able to continue to fund our services. We've not cut back on our services. In fact, we're at capacity right now in the Philippines. Our homes are absolutely um, packed with children. We were actually able to, to launch a new program during the pandemic here in the U.S., an education and employment program that provides a pathway uh, for, for young people on their road to recovery that gives them a, a, a chance at a future. And here's the crazy thing. As Bert said, you guys have been in this with us for 14 years. Man, when I think about that, I'm, t I'm turning 59 this week. Um, and uh, when I think about that, that was when I was in my early 40s. You guys started partnering with us. So that it makes it feel like it was even a longer time uh, ago. And during those 14 years, you ready for this? You guys as a church have been able to fund the work of Love 146 to the tune of 570-something thousand dollars. That is extraordinary <laughs> generosity that has enabled us to do things that we never thought um, that, or, or imagine that we'd be able to do. So thank you um, for partnering with us for so long um, that it was not just a spasm of passion for you, but something that you continue to, to align yourselves with, and that means an awful lot to us, and it means a lot to the kids that we get to work with. If you want to know more about what we do, I have two of my colleagues out in the, um, uh, the back table there, uh, uh, Ramona and Carly, would be happy to answer your questions. We also have, if you guys throw that slide up, Check this out. When I first came, this will give you an idea of how long ago this was. You guys, when we first came to, to, uh, to meet together, you guys were meeting in a little tiny building. I don't even know where it was. I remember it had a long parking lot, and it was a little building. Um, and, and for you to sign up or to want more information, I like tore some, a, a loose leaf piece of paper out of my loose leaf and had sign up here and everything. Now check it out. We got like really high tech now. Here's something, a QR code that you can scan. Boom, it sends you right to a place where you can sign up to get as any information uh, that you want to, and you can connect to us um, on a deeper level. So, yeah, so during COVID, some of the things that have happened, I mean, as far as the adjustments that we've had to make as an organization, just like we've all had to make adjustments with our lives, 
Um, I was telling somebody or the, the, the service earlier that I'm, I'm the guy that's, that's the guy that's always forgets to turn the mute button off. Like when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm, I'm, yeah, Rob, you're on mute. I'm talking a mile a minute, ranting, and nobody's hearing me. It's the story of my life. Um, anyway, uh, COVID adjustments. We've seen during COVID increased vulnerability in young people that are at risk for trafficking because of not being seen by the normal adults that they would be seen by, whether it's school teachers or caregivers or whatever. Kids are absolutely isolated. They're alone. They're at way more risk um, for trafficking. So we've seen trafficking situations actually uh, continue to grow, increased trauma for already traumatized children. You have the trauma and the anxiety and the fear that comes with a pandemic that no one has ever experienced um, before. Uh, we've been in complete lockdowns since March of 2020 in the Philippines are, and are still in lockdown there because it's still pretty much out of control. Um, and we've been in, there, uh, yeah, in, in quarantine, basically, all of our staff and our children, both the boys' home and the girls' home. Um, and what's crazy is that um, online exploitation in the Philippines since COVID has tripled. So that, that's a heartbreaking thought when you think about it. So what used to happen on the streets now that has moved online, trafficking and exploitation has actually tripled uh, in the Philippines. In fact, just this week, UNICEF and the International Labor Organization um, has said for the first time in 20 years, um, there's been an increase in child labor. Um, throughout the world. In fact, it's up to about 160 million children are victims of child labor throughout the world right now, and that there are millions that are more at risk because of COVID. So things are changing. We're having to adapt. We're having to modify all of our work in the U.S., the U.K., the Philippines, um, meeting the felt needs of kids by providing food, housing, the practical uh, needs, um, meeting with kids. Our services have not been interrupted. Again, your consistency your generosity makes that all possible. We've had no travel. None of us have been uh, traveling over the last year or so. So fundraisers have been scaled way back. We had no galas over the last um, uh, 18 months or so, even closed down one of our offices to save uh, money so that our services would not be interrupted um, or be impacted. So we've had to rely on the flexibility and the resiliency of not only the kids that we care for and that are in our care, but also for our staff and colleagues, and also the generosity and the consistent faithfulness of people like you that have been able to make this year um, possible. So again, thank you. In fact, last year's offering, I did a virtual talk last year um, in June rather than being here, and the offering that particular Sunday, I believe, was the biggest offering that your church has ever taken up, which was an absolute shock and stunned our entire staff, which was just, again, un unbelievably grateful. Uh, for that. So last June when I did share um, virtually, I wanted to sort of recap for those that didn't see it or whatever, in that I shared a message and a talk that I called Welcome to the Apocalypse. And it was a bit of a timely talk because it just seemed like so much was happening at such a short period of time, things that we have never seen globally before. Um, and, and it was just like, what is going on in the world? And people were starting to use this apocalyptic language, like, what's going on in the world? And I think about what it looked like even for our services. Like, in the Philippines, December of 2019, um, we had a typhoon hit right near where our safe homes 
are. It, when it was a really, really difficult time, a very terrifying time. And then literally a month after that, January of 2020, if you saw it, it was, it was in the news all over the place and made global news. There was a volcano that erupted that was about 14 miles from our safe home. So we had to emergency evacuate all of our kids and staff uh, to a safe location. And they had to stay there for a long time because of there was so much volcanic ash. Um, in fact, we had about six to eight inches of volcanic ash over our entire properties, all over our safe homes. It took weeks and weeks and weeks to clean it all up. In fact, I, I was saying earlier that we had to, um, I, I, but this was back in February before there was anything really impacting here in the States. And I, I went, I had to go to um, Home Depot, and that was back when they had all the masks you could ever want. And so I wiped out like the inventory at Home Depot of their N95 masks for volcanic ash. It had nothing to do with the pandemic. So if you were looking for N95 masks in Home Depot, it was my fault that you couldn't find any when the pandemic hit. Um, it was pr protecting kids' lungs in the Philippines from uh, volcanic ash. But it was just crazy. And then after COVID in March, literally in April, we got hit by another typhoon. And it was, it was this feeling of like, what is happening? And then globally, you think, uh, an un, uh, you know, an un, unforeseen pandemic, a pandemic that none of us have ever experienced experience before. You had, coupled with that, you know, the intensity of racial injustice in our country, you know, political division, uh, locust swarms in East Africa. I don't know if you remember that in the news, but it, East Africa was being devastated by locust swarms. Wildfires in Australia. You remember the wildfires raging through um, Australia, wiping out huge swaths of, of Australia. In fact, during the same time, there was talk uh, from scientists about an asteroid that's getting close I mean, it seems like every time there's something crazy happening in the world, somebody's got to throw the asteroid element in, like, oh, and there's also an asteroid that's coming dangerously close to the, to the Earth, you know, and then what was it, the, the, um, the, the murder hornets, remember murder hornets in 2020, what is happening, and there was a sense of an apocalyptic sort of situation, and so I was thinking about that, we used words like apocalyptic, unprecedented, uncharted territory, you know, and, you know, and when I think about apocalypse, I think about like movie type stuff, zombie apocalypse alien apocalypses, end of the world kind of, kind of thing, right? And so I started thinking about apocalypse. What is an apocalypse? So I looked it up, and here's what it is. The original Greek word, or the original meaning in Greek for apocalypse, which is a Greek word, it means an unveiling or unfolding of things not previously known, which could not be known apart from the unveiling. Apocalypse doesn't have to do with necessarily the end of the world or the craziness that is pointing to the end of the world. The apocalypse is an apocalypse is literally a making known something that already exists but that you don't know that it exists. It's an unveiling. It's a revealing of something that exists. Sometimes it's a revealing of something that has been very purposely hidden, put under the rock kind of thing because we don't want to face it, we don't want to see it or whatever. An apocalypse is, an, is a revealing of that thing. It's a pulling up the rock and seeing what's actually underneath. And I thought that was really interesting. Author David Dark says this, an apocalypse occurs when we are suddenly made to see what is really going on. What a great definition of apocalypse. It's not the end of the world. It's actually, um, it's when we are suddenly made to see what is really going on. Or in other words, it's an eye-opener. It's a simple definition. An apocalypse is an eye-opener. You guys, Jesus was basically, when you look at the life of Jesus, 
and what he was always revealing, he was like a walking apocalypse by the parables that he told, by the confrontations that he had, especially with um, religious people. He was constantly disrupting the normal and revealing the hidden, whether it was entire oppressive systems and what's hidden underneath those oppressive systems or what is, in, what is hidden in the individual heart. He was constantly revealing that stuff, a walking apocalypse. So man, this perfect storm of global and national events over the last 18 months has lifted up the proverbial rock and has crashed through our normal. And you guys, when you lift up a rock, there's some really nasty, ugly things under a rock, right? There's like, oh God, what is that thing growing? What, what is, you know, what's that? There's a spider or a nasty looking grub or whatever. But sometimes there's also real beauty. I've lifted up rocks and have actually seen like, like plants growing underneath a rock, which is like, how is that even possible? Or a, the, a beautiful multicolored salamander or something like that. So when you lift the rock up, yes, there is the ugly that's exposed and revealed, the apocalyptic nature of that. But apocalypse also reveals beauty and the good things. The ugly, let's talk about that real quick. There's um, uh, a guy named Jorge Juan Rodriguez. He's a doctoral candidate in the history of religion at Union Theological Seminary. And he described what was, what's been happening over um, the last uh, 18 months. He goes, this crisis is revealing healthcare inequalities, class divisions, and the fact that the most important workers in American society are actually among the least paid. Right? Think about this. Right? Who did we start calling essential workers during the beginning of the pandemic? Right? It's the people that are normally overlooked, not noticed. The people that are doing the everyday stuff that actually our lives depend upon all of a sudden are now thrust into like, these are essential people. Isn't that, doesn't that kind of reek of God, right? Taking the marginalized and putting them out, out front, taking the unnoticed and making them notice. That's what apocalypse does, and I love, I, I love that sort of um, uh, thinking. What is being revealed are the fault lines in the system that have always existed. We are just noticing it now because the system is stressed by the pandemic. So what has been revealed even in us as believers, what has been re revealed in us as individuals, I think even for myself, our own participation in oppressive systems is one of the ugly things when we've lifted the rock up over uh, the last year. Fear and even possibly hatred for who we consider the other. You guys have never seen the line so deep um, in, in our country before of, of, of the other, of looking at the other, and even within Christendom and even within um, people of faith and everything, othering and, and, and making the other uh, the enemy is something that has been revealed as something that's ugly there, even to the point of hatred. Economic disparity has been revealed as the rock has been pulled up and apocalypse is happening. Racial injustice. I think our vulnerabilities have been revealed. Wow, we're more, way more vulnerable than we thought we were when we were content. Um, the reality check that we are not superior Right? I mean, that's been a reality check that's happened, both as an individual or potentially connected to race or potentially even connected to us as a nation. There's been a great equalizer uh, that has happened um, and an eye-opener, uh, for sure, apocalyptic eye-opener. We're more selfish than we thought, another result of, of uh, the rock being lifted up. And you know how that was seen? 
the toilet paper aisle back last June or, or back last May, right? If you wanted to see selfishness, man, visit the toilet paper aisle. There was this hoarding. There was this crazy, like, people taking stuff out of people's carts and everything. I've got to survive. I've got to survive and everything. And as that rock was, was lifted up where our selfishness has been exposed, even to the point of where, hey, man, my liberty is more important than your safety. We've seen that permeating even uh, w- within the church. And so, yeah, so all of those ugly things have been revealed through this apocalyptic place that we're in, this revealing. But also beauty has been revealed. I think one of the things that's happened is that we've come down to what really matters. There's been a recalibration of what is really important in our lives right? Um, the importance of human touch has been revealed, that man, I miss human touch, I miss community. The value of relationships has been revealed, that wow, I, these relationships are really important, my friendships, my family, really important. Um, we're, the, I think it's been revealed that we are responsible to care uh, for the least. Again, the unnoticed became noticed, the marginalized no longer marginalized, the, the idea that we need each other. Generosity like I've never seen happen before. When you think that it wouldn't be the case, I've seen generosity like in levels that I've never seen um, before. Hope rising, I think, is one of the things that, that has been beautiful. The image of God revealed in the beautiful acts of selflessness, sacrifice, and generosity are some of the beautiful things that have been found um, under the rock. And so, I don't think apocalypse is over. I think there's a continuing revealing, and that will continue to go on. And some of it's going to be really painful, and some of it's going to be really beautiful, but I think also really necessary. Another word besides apocalypse that has been fascinating to me is this this word emerge, because there's been a feeling um, that we're emerging from something, right? There's been this like Wow, I think we might be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, as I heard somebody say uh, the other day. There's a sense of emergence. So I've been actually fascinated by that. What does emergence look like? What does that word emerge even mean? And, and the word emerge literally means to rise from. I love that. To rise from. So to emerge means you have to be rising up from something, but then into something else. What are we rising from? What are we rising into is kind of a question that I've been playing around with. I think what we're rising from, I think we're rising from, connected to the pandemic, a long, dark, hard year. Right? And I think even the seasons kind of contribute to the sense of emergence, right? We're, you know, here in the Northeast, I mean, I live in New England, and it's sort of like, my gosh, I think even in like, like uh, April, there, we were like, is spring ever going to come? It just was, it felt like it was so cold, and our, the ground was cracked and hard still, and it was like, is it ever going to come? And that feeling of when it starts to happen, it's like, wow, we're emerging from this long, dark, hard winter. Um, fear, I think we're emerging from this place of fear and anxiety. Yes, there's still fears, there's still anxieties, but there's a sense of emerging happening, a moving away from that. The, the, the isolation, we're, we're emer- emerging from isolation into community again. We're emerging from restlessness. We're emerging from grief. My goodness, some of us have lost loved ones, have lost family members, have lost friends and colleagues um, over the last 18 months, and we've been in this place of grief um, and fear. I believe that there's an emerging that's happening away from that, emerging uh, from confusion. What are we emerging into? Again, I think based on spring, I think we're, we're emerging into a little bit more light, a little bit more warmth, which is really good, but I think we're also emerging into some freedom, again, to be able to connect with each other. I think human touch, we're emerging into community. We're emerging back into community. We're emerging into a, a place of deeper hope, which is a really beautiful thing. And, and I think emerging 
and an emergence is not a sudden thing. You don't just suddenly emerge. It's a, it's a process, right? It's a growing. It's, it's, it's a process. And, and, and I think in reality, if you're here today, it means that really you've actually been emerging all year long, right? It's not suddenly happened. You're still here, which means somehow in the morning you emerge. You're still going on. You know, I look at the, our colleagues at Love 146, those that are in the trenches with kids day in and day out. They keep showing up and showing up. That's an everyday emerging. You emerge every day. It's not a sudden thing or a one-time thing. It continues on. It's a process. I think about the children in our care who are emerging from a life of exploitation and horror. They're emerging from abuse. They're emerging from trauma into places of safety. And they're emerging into freedom and merging into recovery and healing and even a future. And so there's emerging from and emerging into. And, you know, here's the other thing that I think is fascinating about emergence and, and the word emerge is it's, it has the same root as the word emergency. Right, I, and I'm late to that game. I just realized it in the last few months. I'm like, wow, there's the word emergency that's connected in that too. And how does that relate? I think this. I think you guys, I don't know about you, but I think most of us have had a deep appreciation for what we would call emergency workers, right? Um, uh, and, and what we call first responders, right? The people that have been showing up when we've been, you know, in our, in our homes and in quarantine and all that, but the people that kept showing up and showing up and everything. I have a daughter who's an EMT. We were terrified for a good chunk of the year of, you know, because she was with, you know, COVID patients all the time and everything. And is she going to be okay? And, and these first responders to the point where you guys are from New York. So you've seen and maybe been part of applauding the shift changes at hospitals and, and those that are coming for the next 12 hour shift of driving an ambulance and, and, and all of that. We've, we've, we've applauded and, and, and we've been an audience to these amazing um, people. And I think sometimes we default to this mentality of like, oh my gosh, um, you know, these are the experts in the field. These are the people that have their business to be in the, the, those places and everything. So we applaud the experts, but we feel somewhat removed from that or somewhat um, uh, not connected to that. And, and here's my question, is what if we looked at generosity as a first response? If we looked at generosity as a first response, then we can all be first responders. And this is actually something that marks America and Americans, I think. Um, because oftentimes when you see something happen in the world, whether you know, it's a natural disaster or something like that, and the Red Cross or organizations on the ground that are trying to actually do something in the midst of, of the horror or something like that, when they put a solicitation out like, hey, we need help, we need funds, usually the first people that show up, and, and people know this all globally, and with the most generosity are Americans. People just show up and, and are just like, what can I do? What can I give? And there's just this giving. Now, sustaining that is a whole other story. <laughs> we as Americans have a struggle sometimes sustaining that kind of commitment. But that initial first response oftentimes is a response of generosity, which is a really beautiful mark. So what if we could all be first responders um, in that way, emerging from seeing ourselves on the sidelines, applauding first responders to becoming one through our generosity, and I think this is something that you guys as a church and as a people have exemplified, moving from passive to participant um, by our action and generosity. And then I think about, um, in closing, this, this whole idea of emergence as connected to seasons, and, and, and now since we're into spring moving into summer here in just a couple weeks or, or you know, a little more than, uh, than a week, I think about when my, I was out in, the, in, I think it was April, and I'm like, there's no hope for our yard. Our yard is like, there's, it's just brown, crusted, hard ground. 
And I'm like, there's no hope here, man. It's just, this just exemplifies everything. This is, this is the way. And, and I remember the day when I was outside and, and I came running in to tell my wife because I saw a couple of green blades of grass poking through. And I was like, how is that even possible? Right? It's like, I mean, a piece of grass, a blade of grass is this flexible thing. How in the world does that break through this hard, crusty ground and everything? But man, this is what life is, right? Life is insistence. There seems to be almost an act of defiance in that blade of grass. I defy the crusty ground. I defy that. I'm, I'm going to emerge through this. Come hell or high water, I'm breaking through that. There's such a tenacity, a defiance, a, 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 an insistence that's connected to that. And I think about, you know, that idea of, of plants and growth and all of that, I go right to like the fruit of the Spirit stuff in Galatians, right, where it's, it's laid out of what those blades of grass look, should look like in our own lives. But you guys, here's the reality, and let's be honest, a lot of times, especially um, in, the, in the last year or so, sometimes our life is like that crusty ground. Right, that it's just like what's what's still there. You know, I, I was I saw uh, there was a song a couple weeks ago that I saw that um, that I was reminded of um, that was written back in the 1960s. It was like the anthem for the Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement, called "They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love." Anybody remember that song? They will know our, all the old older people here, right? Yeah, I remember that song, and and um, and it was such a great song. It was like this is how people are going to know, right? This should be the fruit of our life as believers. But here's the reality. Here's what the crusty ground looks like is really what we could sing instead is they'll know we are Christians by our tweets. You know, they'll know we are Christians by our political affiliations. They'll know we are Christians by who we agree with or align ourselves with. They'll know we are Christians by who we fight. You know, you guys think about it. We get the jitters, man, if we don't get mad at somebody during a day. Right, and we got to fight some. We got to have an enemy. We got to have an enemy to give us some sense of meaning or purpose. And the Bible does talk about us having an enemy, but it's not flesh and blood. It's very clear that it's not flesh and blood. But we have quickly made flesh and blood our enemies, and it gives us a sense of meaning and purpose. That's cracked, crusty ground, man. It's cracked, crusty ground. You know, we we you know they'll know we are Christians by the flag we wave. No. It clearly says here in Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two, the fruit of the spirit that has to break through that ground, that other stuff, looks like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I love that. That's, and this is what my bottom line belief is, is that God is causing His image and is insistent on His image breaking through the crust that we create. And there's an emergence that I believe that is happening in our individual lives and I believe is happening in the church. And for that to happen, it has to be apocalyptic, man. There has to be a revealing and an unearthing and an, and a pulling up of the rock. And that's what he has been so faithful and insistent to do. And most of the time, it's really painful. But if you look beyond the pain, there's also a really beautiful thing happening here that we're going to look like what he describes as his bride. In, Matthew, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, says this, when I think about emergence, this is the picture that pops into my mind. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. 
Doesn't that give you that sense of a, like picture that calf that's been in darkness, that's been in the cold, you know, stall and everything, and then the stall finally opens, and that calf goes out blinking its eyes in the new light and in the new territory and all of that, and when it recognizes that, oh my gosh, I'm no longer contained within that tiny stall, and I have the freedom of this meadow, all of a sudden it turns into leaping and dancing and all of that, and that's what emergence ends up looking like at the end of the day. And here's We are always, again, this is process, always overcoming. We're always emerging, even when you don't feel like it. Even if you think you're taking two steps forward and three steps back, there's still a sense of emergence. We're always transitioning. I don't know about you, how many of you have had the sort of thing like, hey, I'm in a season of transition, and I've come to the place where actually, no, my season, it's not a season. I'm always in transition. There's always something happening that's changing and, and, and churning and everything. We're always recovering, always emerging. Can we stand together as we pray? The beauty is, is that God is behind all of this. The revealing as well as the emerging. You guys keep giving in to Him. Keep being part of the great emergence that God is insistent on. And thank you again for being first responders when it comes to generosity. Father, we don't always see what you're doing, but we know you're doing something. And honestly, the revealing sometimes is really painful and gutting because it reveals stuff in us as individuals that we don't like to see, but no, it's there. Thank you for being an insi- insistent on breaking through that stuff, revealing it, and give us the courage to emerge from it into something new that looks like fruit, that looks like your image in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word truenorth to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.